Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I am David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardwar. And Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. What we're going to do today on the podcast is we're going to talk about some what we've been watching, and then we're going to move on into an in-depth review. This week, we're going to be reviewing Bong Joon-ho's newest movie, Parasite, which is out right now in limited release. Uh, and so that's what we got in store for you. You can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. You can also email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. And of course, this this podcast episode is brought to you for free. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Hunt a Killer and Pretty Litter. Hunt a Killer and Pretty Litter. Thanks so much to them for sponsoring us. All right, uh, gents, uh, you know, I, I saw Parasite this past weekend uh, mm-hmm. at the Lincoln Square Theater in Bellevue, uh, Washington, and I, I was really encouraged by how many people were there to see this foreign film uh, with a bunch of subtitles. Like the theater was almost full. How about you guys? How, w- under what circumstances did you see Parasite? Yeah, totally full at the Brooklyn Academy of Music because it was the second weekend. But I, I'll tell you, in New York, it was playing at the IFC Center. Like forty screenings for that first weekend were all sold out. Yeah. So yeah, this feels good. How about you, Jeff? I, uh... I don't know if you guys know this, but I have a movie theater across the street from my house. Oh, nice. Mm, um, yeah, good. yeah. It's pretty convenient for me. So I saw it there. Uh, it was a 10 p.m. screening on a Thursday night. So it wasn't full, but <laughs> uh, there were there were a fair amount of people there. And uh, I just thought it was cool that it has opened wide enough to be at the theater across from my house. Theater across from my house, pretty great theater, I have to say. has some you know pretty eclectic movies. It's not just going to give you your... Right. Run of the mill blockbuster stuff, Man. but uh, life I in was LA sounds great. Just movies, movies right in front of your door. It's step those, outside, movie. It's That's the great. pesky fires that are also outside uh, uh, that, that you know that are the downside. You know, step outside, movies. Also, smoke inhalation. Your house is probably going to burn down. Um, but <laughs> uh, other, but the movies is great. Stay safe out there. Dude. <laughs> are yeah, you? Yeah. yeah stay e- safe. Everyone, stay safe out there. Are you? Like, do the fires impact your life in any way right now, Jeff? Like, do you see the fires uh, when you go outside? Like, what's how's no, it? No, I think we talked about last year when I was directly in the fire line and and really really scared, and we were talking about evacuation and stuff. I'm my family and I are very fortunate this time to not be in in that situation. There are literally thousands of people who are in that situation this time around. Uh, so no, I, I don't see them. I can smell them and I'm impacted insofar as uh, traffic and the 405 was closed today and traffic is is uh, a nightmare, even more of a nightmare than usual in Los Angeles. But my woes this year, at least so far, are, uh, are you know, minuscule compared to what a lot of people are going through where they are in the situation I was in last year. And it's, ridiculous this is a yearly occurrence now this is just where we are with the climate of this planet or the climate where i choose to live on this planet where it's fire season in los angeles and so the crazy high winds and dry conditions combine to make us have to just accept the fact that uh la is going to burn every year i guess because it has every year for the last few years and also intermittently uh people millions of people lose power now in california it's now a regular thing uh yeah. th- this is crazy climate change it's is not, real it's, it's not just that they lose power it's yeah. that the, the the companies decide to stop power <laughs> the for, power like, monopoly oh, is like yeah i didn't yeah. i didn't fix it so yeah yeah so we didn't power. address the clear problems that were flagged for us so instead we're going to just remove power for thousands of people to try to prevent new fires it's it's bonkers yeah bonkers. it does feel a, a little bit dystopian right that like for sure you're watching a dystopian movie 
this would be a, a thing. You know, like those like little world building touches that happen in movies. Like, oh, hey, yes. they're shutting off power for you know a hundred thousand people. Um, th- there's like brownouts, like voluntary brownouts. You know, it's just like, wow, uh, that would be a, a sign that things are heading towards a bad place. So, regardless, a, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, there was a book series. I think it's called Rust. Do you guys know of this book series that was uh, self-published for a while and kind of got oh, yeah. traction? Uh, I read the first one. I think it's, I think Rust is what it was called. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not Rust. It, there, anyway, it's a sci-fi book series about you know post-apocalypse where everybody lives underground and they only come out for a while. Dust or Rust or something like that. <clears throat> anyway, I only read the first book. Was it um, like Rust, The Longest War? I remember that. That might be what it was. I yeah. can't remember. Anyway, it was self-published, and then it got you know got a lot of traction and like was picked up by a publisher and became a whole series. Anyway, I bring that up because that book describes basically my interaction with my son right now, which is I constantly think of that book because my son's like, Dad, I want to go out and play. And I'm like, no, the air is too damaging to you. The air outside makes it impossible for you to go outside. The the actual air will harm you. So no, we have to stay inside, son. It just feels like I'm inside this crazy sci-fi novel. Do you feel like that's like damaging his development in some way or like impacting his development that like that there's this like threat from something he can't see? Or I, I'm curious like what your perception is. I mean, of it is. the psychological aspect I haven't even reckoned with because I'm too busy worrying about the fact that I'm – am I just giving my kid asthma? Like just the fact that he lives in a place where he inhales this much smoke and toxins, does he? Am I am I giving him physical problems, let alone the psychological ones? I don't know. Hope everyone stays safe out there, Jeff. If you're tired of the fires, you can always move to Seattle. The only thing we have to fear is very likely a massive earthquake sometime in the next twenty yeah, years. That'll wipe you out with the tidal wave, right? That's going to completely devastate the infrastructure here. So, yeah. well, I got know. that going for me too, man. I'm not. I'm oh not. yeah. Okay. No, that's true. Um. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, well, what better way to escape from the problems of our real lives than by going to the movies, or in our case, (laughs) watching movies at home, or both, as is the case with what we're going to be discussing today. Uh, So we have been watching a few things. Let's talk about what we've been watching. I had a chance to check out this movie called Tell Me Who I Am. Have you guys heard of this movie, Tell Me Who I Am, on uh, Netflix? Uh It was like a big award, like film festival thing. I think when it premiered too, right? Oh, I don't, I don't. Uh, There's uh, a lot of buzz about this, yeah. So it's it's essentially a story about twins, Alex and Marcus. They're identical twins, and uh, Alex. Oh, this stars Paul Rudd, right? I, I know, I know this show. <laughs> no, it's a different one. The different oh. show about twins, uh, oh. but it's a documentary, and uh, it, it's uh, about this twin named Alex who gets in a horrifying motorcycle accident, uh, and after that, he cannot remember anything except for his name and the name of his twin. Right, so uh, uh, he basically has reset his life into like the life of a I don't know six year old. In the sense that, like, he doesn't know, like, where his house is. He doesn't know who his mom or dad, like, what their names are. He doesn't know who any of his friends are. He does know how to, like, put on clothes and go to the bathroom and stuff like that. So he hasn't, like, lost all of his capabilities. Uh, but it's just, it's basically, you know, reg- like, uh, kind of the the classical definition of amnesia, where you, like, lose uh, your memory of, of everything uh, you know in your life, except in the case of Alex, his twin. And uh, he then needs to relearn it all. And he trusts his twin, Marcus, 
to reteach him everything. Uh, and this is a extremely fascinating documentary. It's uh, very well made. It, it, the entire documentary is essentially just uh, interviews with these two twins. It's it's just they're in one room. They're being interviewed. And then they're, it's interspersed with kind of reenactments of some of the things that they're talking about. But there's like nothing too fancy, you know. Some of like Errol Morris, one of my favorite filmmakers, some of his documentary reenactments can get pretty showy in my opinion, like ultra slow motion and really crazy stuff. And uh, in the case of uh, Tell Me Who I Am, not the case, just very mm-hmm. kind of uh, uh, basic uh, reenactments that look like they're like, you know, home videos, like uh, uh, old school, like the the opening credits of like Succession or something like that, right? Uh, and through the course of the movie, uh, he ends up just learning new things about his life, uh, including some really challenging things. And I, I'm not going to say any more because I, I think you should just see the movie. But I will just say I thought it was riveting. I thought it was emotionally powerful. It was cathartic. And it also gets at some really basic questions about Humanity, you know, I mean, it's obviously a real story, so I don't mean to trivialize it by comparing it to sci-fi, but I think the best of sci-fi asks the question, like, what is it that makes you human? What is it that makes you who you are? And, And like, kind of an intellectual exercise I've always had is, hey, if you were to lose all your memories, you know, um, would you be able to become a different person? Um, Aren't how much do your memories make who you are? This is a question that's been asked by many, many movies that feature amnesia, right? Memento, Born Identity, uh, but this is a documentary, and these these people actually went through it for real. Uh, and so I thought it, it was great, kind of minimalist filmmaking that told a story that uh, is extremely brave, fascinating, and well worth watching. So uh, I would highly recommend it. It's Tell Me Who I Am. It's like eighty five minutes. I will say that uh, the subject matter is very troubling. Um, so, like, trigger warning or whatever kind of warning you would need for something like that. But, like, uh, yeah, uh, warning about the, the content in the movie. But Tell Me Who I Am is a movie that I would uh, strongly suggest if you are looking for, like, an interesting documentary that reflects on the nature of memory and of, like, uh, uh, of siblinghood. You know, like, being a sibling is a, is a very powerful connection. Uh, I, I forget, Devendra. Do you, uh, Devendra and Jeff, do you guys have siblings? I, I, I forget. I know it's a very basic Dave. Question. You know I have a brother. You've met my brother. That's right. On several occasions. That's right. That's right. You have a wow. brother. Dave has. Wow. Uh, has it was very fascinated about memory and yeah. It's good. <laughs> How about you, Jeff? I have a younger sister. Oh right, yeah, and I, I think like I have a younger brother for the record, and I think like one of the things I realized uh, growing up uh, and reading about the idea of siblings is like how valuable it is to have a sibling uh, because siblings are the only people who know you f- throughout all your life stages, right? When you are born, your parents are already, you know, 20, 30, 40 years old. They've already like had their first life stages. When you get married, you know, your significant other is meeting you at that life stage. But siblings are the only people who like, they're there with you when you're young. And then when you're, you know, a teenager growing up and, and, uh, I've grown to really like appreciate my brother uh, as time has gone on. You know, like when you're young, there's like sibling rivalry and you fight. But like mm-hmm. when you get older, you realize like how rare and valuable it is to have a sibling. And that's a kind of relationship that I think this movie, Tell Me Who I Am, really brings to life uh, in a vivid way. So 
Anyway, that's Tell Me Who I Am. It's on Netflix right now. It is a documentary, and you should check it out. Yeah, I believe very strongly in uh, in having a, a sibling for my firstborn. I was, you know, my wife and I were both like, we've got to have another one, uh, or else this kid's going to be a real asshole. Um, <laughs> but it turns out... <laughs> Be an asshole anyway. <laughs> uh, the, Kids. Uh, it turns yeah. out having two is very hard, and uh, I was like, you know, we got to have a second one so that you know they have siblings and they can h- hang out with each other. And 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 it's like, oh wait, no, two is very hard. <laughs> two is very hard. Well, it's difficult for you, Jeff, but I'm sure uh, both your children will greatly appreciate it. So they better. <laughs> <laughs> I also had a chance to watch BoJack Horseman Season 6, which dropped Woo! the first half of its episodes uh, this past week. Oh, and they have split, Game of Thrones. Okay. They have split Season 6 into two halves. I believe the second half is going to debut in January of 2020. Um, so kind of a bummer in the sense that you can't watch the entire season in one sitting. Uh, so it's seven episodes of 30 minutes long. I've watched all of them at this point. Um, <laughs> and uh, I really love this show, and I'm I'm not ready for it to be over. Yeah, I think it's that so good. It's so good. You know, I I think that uh, I I mean, one of the things that's become clear in the last couple of years is uh, having an opinion on movies is exhausting. And what I mean by that is like the discourse is just really exhausting. Like we we uh, we did a review on Joker a few weeks ago, and. Uh, we got, you know, uh, r- like a lot of people expressed dissatisfaction with our review because we didn't like it. And it's just like, well, it's it's just challenging to have a review for a, a popular movie that like a lot of people disagree with. Um, and, and the reason I bring all- Joker up, I guess, is because like something that uh, people brought up is the- that Joker's depiction of depression is something that really spoke to them. And uh, I-, I don't at all want to minimize that. You know, like I think that like, when we see depictions of things that we go through on screen, it helps people to feel less alone. It helps to illuminate aspects of our condition that we might not have previously thought of. And I guess that's the kind of thing I get out of BoJack Horseman, which is a funny show about a horse, but um, uh, also its depiction of this uh, misanthropic, alcoholic, you know, depressed horse is something that uh, I find to be like really meaningful. And I, I guess when I was watching it, at times, like I kind, it kind of felt like maybe this is what people who watch Joker got out of that movie. You know, like that. Uh, even though I, you know, I didn't like Joker very much. Like I, I kind of saw, like, okay, like I'm watching this movie about this character, and like it's like teaching me all these valuable life lessons. And you know, whether or not I got that out of Joker, some people clearly did. And uh, so I just want to acknowledge that, but also say that uh, I really love BoJack Horseman as a show and think it continues to be brilliant. Uh, it juxtaposes extremely depressing and sad subject matter alongside like nonstop jokes and brilliant wordplay. And uh, hey, hey, can we, before we get too far from the first thing you said, yeah, can we, yeah, yeah. Can we just talk about that for a second? Sure, I, I, sure. I also love BoJack Horseman so so much, and I don't want to minimize your or take anything away from your review of, of the season six. But <clears throat> I think what you said about what people get out of Joker. I think the thing that's unfortunate from my perspective is that that doesn't go without saying. Yeah. Right. That should be the a priori thing that we all assume. Like we, 
in, someone's in, enjoyment of a thing does not yeah diminish yours yes right? or someone's lack of enjoyment or yeah. someone's opinion does not take anything away from the thing that that you got out of it and i i got a lot of hate uh, an inordinate, uh, an unusual amount of hate for my Joker review to the point where I've actually I had to block some people uh, based on attacks from about the about Joker, which it just it's crazy to me. It's like, OK, man, I didn't like the thing you liked. That's OK. I yeah. You like it. I I'm actually really happy for you that you liked it. I genuinely am. I, I think the movie is bad, but that's just my opinion. You know, you're, it doesn't it doesn't affect your opinion. And the fact that we have to sort of explicitly state that as you did and you did yeah, eloquently. Yeah. But the fact that we have to is so such a bummer. Well, honestly, doesn't this go like straight to the also all the auteurs and their thoughts on Marvel and everything, too? Like, I feel like all this goes hand in hand where, yeah, I don't I don't care what Scorsese thinks about Marvel movies because he's <laughs> he's motherfucking Scorsese. Yeah. Like, yeah. Let him let him have his opinion. He's earned it. He's he's good. These movies are still making billions of dollars and nothing is stopping their success just because this man has an opinion. My favorite thing about that, by the way, not to sidetrack, but my favorite thing about that was uh, a tweet I read that somebody said um, Martin Scorsese complains that all the Marvel movies are the same uh, during a tour promoting a mobster movie starring Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro, which I thought was sure. pretty sure. brilliant. You That's know, funny. That's yeah. Funny. <laughs> um i I think one of the the canonical things that i like refer back to about this topic i mean there's so there's so much to dig into in what you said both of you guys talking about maybe we'll dig into a little bit but like one one of the canonical pieces i really like about this is this piece by esther rosenfeld uh that was published in may of 2019 uh where it's entitled on letting people enjoy things right and is this there's this comic online you guys have seen this where uh, yeah. it's like this Which guy has been bastardized. Yes, it's, yes. This, it's this guy pressing this other guy's lips shut and saying, "Shh, let people enjoy things." Right? And when you criticize something, like some people tweet this comic at you, and they're like, "Hey, hey, your opinion? Like, sh- shut up! Like, let people enjoy things. You know, it's okay to uh, let people enjoy things." And uh, this piece that we'll link to in the show notes, it's all it's all about like. Why is it? Why is it that everyone like is tweeting this comic, like or f- Facebook this comment? Like, why? <laughs> why is that necessary? Um, and uh, you know, here's a here's a quote from the article that I, I think just illustrates it brilliantly. She says, "Here, it all comes back to the paradoxical fact that fans of the world's most popular media are intensely insecure in their fandom." <laughs> Avengers Endgame is on track to make more money than any other film has before. So why do fans brigade negative reviews of Avengers Endgame? When I posted about Endgame on Letterboxd, there was something that came up again and again in furious comments. You made me feel bad for liking this movie. Now, you can judge for yourself whether my review was at all patronizing. I think there's something revealing here, though. If you hold an opinion about a movie, why should reading an opposing one make you feel bad? Unless, of course, you're not secure in your own opinion. Unless you feel there's some truth in those opposing arguments. End quote. So, I mean, it's just this, this idea that, like, hey, the, the kind of, like, logical sequence of events, like, hey, this person, I, I like this movie, but this person didn't like the movie. And if they're right, then that means, like, I'm wrong in some way. You know, like, that, yeah. like, maybe I'm wrong for liking the movie. And, like, rather than confront that possibility, uh, I'm just going to attack the, the person that's bringing that up, right? Yeah. Uh, and I just, you know, it's so weird. Yeah. It, 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 this, this perception that everything is a zero sum game is so bizarre to me. I, I'll tell a quick anecdote from my own life, uh, anecdote from my own life, just in the sense that, you know, I'm doing the dungeon run right now. 
and it's a live play Dungeons and Dragons show. It's one I'm I'm very proud of. So I have been paying attention to a lot of the comments online, especially on YouTube, and trying to interact and grow the audience because we are kind of a little engine that could. We're we're you know new player on the block and on a service that is in beta and is kind of an upstart. And so it's it's we're trying to generate an audience. And some of our episodes have gotten a lot of views, but most of them are you know we're chugging along. And there was for a while. There was at least one person, I think it was just one person, who kept coming on and just telling everybody, this is, don't watch this, watch Critical Role. And I'm like, this is just a ripoff of Critical Role, which, by the way, big fan of Critical Role. I think they're amazing. <laughs> but they there, are, there may be many, yeah, role-playing they, shows. Yeah, uh, They also get a million viewers an episode. <laughs> the, the fact that this person needed to, like, defend, they are... They have no worries about us stealing their audience. There's no, there's no universe in which they care that this person needs to come on and be like, it's a zero sum game. You, if you watch this, then you're not watching the show I like. And so I got to go on all these videos and tell people to go over to the show I like. It is so weird to me. Like there's this perception that, I, and I, you know, I, in another field that I am pa passionate about video games, that has happened for years and years and years, right? If you like the Super Nintendo, then you have to attack the Genesis because it's a zero-sum right, game, right. right? It's it's tribalism. It's, it's, it's yeah, humanity. Yeah, it is tribalism, we are. I guess. But neither of those things is going to go away, right? If you like Xbox, you don't have to attack PlayStation. Neither of them are going away. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the other thing that's baffling is also just like uh, that um, the, the nerds have won. You know, Jeff, like, uh, I know. And, and you know what? I thought, I thought, I thought I wanted that. <laughs> yeah, I thought right, I wanted right. that. You thought I, you wanted I it. Say, yeah. Yeah. I, I did. You know, it's like, be careful what you wish for, because my whole life, I, I thought that was the dream. And then the monkey paw gave me my wish and I saw what happened. You know, we used to say on the totally rad show when we won our Webby award for the totally rad show, you, the Webby famously, you, your acceptance speech has to be five words. Ours was um, nerd is the new cool. And we sold t-shirts that said nerd is the new cool. And we thought it was this like rallying cry. Like, yeah, we finally did it. Nerd is becoming cool, right? This really is your fault, Jeff. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> this is all your fault. I'll accept wow. full responsibility. I've, I, yeah. Um, and then it happened. Nerd became the new cool. The, we, 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 like you said, we won. And we, we became the thing we hated. Yeah. We became the bullies because when I was a kid, being a nerd was the antithesis of being a bully. The yep. bullies bullied the nerds, yep. and the yep. nerds took it and felt bad and 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 I, had I, big big hearts and big minds. And I thought, think it's worth mentioning there 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 has always been a certain subset of geekdom and nerdery and who, because they were the underdogs also took that knowledge and wielded it as like a bullying weapon too. So like, that's also why a lot of like sub like sub genres, like things, it's hard for a lot of people to get into comics because comic stores weren't always friendly. It's hard for people to get into role-playing games because the groups they've interacted with, you know, weren't great. So it, it's kind of like, I feel like it was always there. It's just kind of bubbled to the top. Um, yeah. But uh, maybe, I, I don't know if it was always, always there, but maybe there's something there. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think what I just find, uh, fascinating is probably the uh, the most charitable way I can put it is that like 
you have one company who is making movies that are taking what forty percent of total domestic box office in the United States. Um, it, it is a culturally dominant force. Talking about Marvel, right? And uh, like, are they talking about Disney? Disney, Marvel, like they're 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 uh, not only setting the terms from a business perspective, they're setting the terms from a cultural perspective, right? Like they are, you know, irrevocably, inexorably, whatever, shaping the way that we uh, are consuming our media, the types of stories we can consume, uh, and uh, you know, I I, I think. Uh, they can take a few critics uh, going at them, you know. Like they can, they can take people not liking Marvel movies. Like it's, it's not that big of a deal. And this is why. This is why I'm so. I mean, not to open a giant can of worms, <laughs> but this is why I am. I have such worry, mixed with my excitement, my genuine excitement. But I have genuine worry about this. Star Wars movie that we're getting because <laughs> I felt like what Ryan did was he did the, he did a very bold thing and said, I'm bursting this thing open, this, this, this closed garden and I'm bursting it open and I'm making it a, for everybody and literally putting in the text that there's no chosen ones that everybody can be a Jedi. It's all, for, this is all for everyone. Burn the past. Let's make a new thing here. And I, th- I think JJ is going to undo all of it. I think it's going to retcon all of that progress out of what I see as progress. And I know a lot of people disagree vehemently, but I think it's going to be retconned out by this ninth movie. And mm-hmm. I, it makes me sad. It makes me sad because I think what you're talking about, Dave, is this opportunity that Disney Corporation has with their cultural footprint to actually influence the world in really positive ways. And I think Ryan Johnson accepted that responsibility and really took, took it on his shoulders and created a compelling piece of art from my, my perspective, one that was really thrilling and fun, but also spoke in a way that those movies have never spoken and they suffered the wrath for it and could have just endured that, as you say, because the Disney can handle it. But I feel like what's happening, I don't know because I haven't seen the yeah. movie yet, but I suspect what's going to happen is that JJ is going to be like eraser. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I, I am hearing sad. a lot of like nerd fear about this. And I, I have absolutely no idea where it's coming from. So let's let's watch the movie and let's see how it goes. I, I will say like a, the the cool independent streak of Last Jedi felt purely Ryan Johnson. I don't I wouldn't put like any responsibility of Disney to like promote, uh, you know, a more inclusive media. I think a lot of that was his story and they were just kind of cool with letting it go. But yeah, we don't know until we know the full background of everything. Uh, just, just chill, just chill geeks. We're going to see this movie soon. And then you can yell at JJ Abrams. Uh, I, I'm definitely of the opinion where it's like, we have so much to worry about in this world. We can, we can like just delay the stress of wondering if J.J. Abrams retconned Ray's parentage <laughs> from The Last Jedi. You have more things to worry about, okay? Yes, but you underestimate my bandwidth of worry. <laughs> uh, well, Jeff, That can be filled up with something else. Don't first, worry, Jeff. First of all, I'm really impressed that we've managed to touch upon um, Joker, Martin Scorsese and Marvel, and The Last Jedi in the last 10 minutes. 
definitely. It's like sweeps week here on it, these. It's, it's yeah. basically anger as many people as humanly possible. So like nicely done. Mission accomplished there. <laughs> it's like Which bingo. Brings us this is, to, yeah, break the internet bingo. <laughs> brings us to Hunt a Killer, our sponsor for this episode. <laughs> Hunt a Killer. Uh, you want me to go into yeah, it? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Take it <laughs> yeah, away, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. Hunt a Killer is the sponsor of this episode. And oh my goodness, is it cool. Uh, you know that if you know anything about me, you know I love tabletop stuff. I love physical things. I, yes, digital video games are cool. Being on your phone is awesome. But actually being able to sit down with your friends around a table and solve a mystery, work on a mystery, come up with clues, physical stuff that you get to pull out case files and read stuff and have you know physical clues that you're looking at in 300 you know in in, in uh, 3d and physical objects that is so fun and that is what hunt a killer provides it is actually a subscription service with a continuing narrative so as you solve a case it leads you to the next case and it's building a larger meta narrative so it you know it leads you on over the course of several months and it makes you be able to look forward to the next thing you're going to find out. It's so cool. I, my wife and I uh, played this together. It's a great thing for couples. Um, when you unbox the thing, that moment alone is like, is so rad. Cause you're pulling out like what's in this box. It's got a list of all the cool things in the box. It's got case files. It's got, you know, physical objects. It's got clues. And you're like, I don't even know how this connects to anything. And then you dig in and you start putting stuff together, figuring out the puzzles it's so much fun. And they have uh, thousands of online community members, 2,000 five-star reviews on Trustpilot, and Fast Company named them one of the most innovative entertainment companies of 2019. Plus, this is one of the things I like most about uh, Hunt a Killer. Part of the proceeds for every box go to the Cold Case Foundation to help fund cold case investigations. So it's like you're kind of chipping in to actually solve real cases in a, you know, in an oblique but very effective way. Very, very cool. Uh, you guys got to check this out. And right now, just for our listeners, you can go to huntakiller.com slash filmcast for 20% off your first box. Hurry to take advantage of this offer and embrace your inner detective. That's huntakiller.com slash filmcast. For 20% off your first box, huntakiller.com slash filmcast, F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. It's not just about catching the murderer. It's about the friends you make along the way. Thanks to Hunt a Killer for sponsoring us this week. So, Jeff, as I was saying, uh, <laughs> BoJack Horseman Season 6. But the one, <laughs> the one thing I wanted to close in on was just that, like, the point I was making was not I, – I definitely wasn't trying to bring up The Last Jedi in any way. I was just trying to say, I think Mark Maron said something like this a, f a few months ago that, like, basically, hey, uh, you've, ar you've already won. The people who, like, support Marvel movies, who love Marvel movies or uh, Joker movies, which, by the way, uh, it, like, Joker is, I think, the most successful or profitable R-rated film of all time, right? Um, it is as profitable as Avengers Endgame was just because the budget was so low. Uh, you, you've already won. Like, the, the, the movies are wildly successful. Uh, millions of people watch them. Like whatever you want to get out of these movies, like and and, and getting them in front of people, you, you, it's already succeeded. Uh, mm -hmm. One thing that you could do is just allow people to say uh, ne negative things about them. You know, if they don't like them, 
consider that maybe like in 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 complete and utter dominance, uh, it might be valuable to hear a dissenting opinion on them. So, but don't you dare say anything bad about BoJack Horseman, right, Dave? Yep, that's correct. If you say anything negative about BoJack Horseman, yeah. how dare you? You will be trampled to death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, BoJack Horseman season six, brilliant, and and continues many of the things that uh, previous seasons did well. Like for instance, um, you know, you know, like long running joke, like uh, jokes that run many episodes, like a visual gag that's introduced in the first episode that then like will pay off like six episodes later. You know, that that's there a lot this, this, uh, season. I will say this, you know, previous seasons have been pretty emotionally devastating. Like there's been some episodes that have just been like super dark. Right. Uh, Jeff, I assume you've seen like most of the oh, seasons yeah. Of, yeah they'd be just like oh, yeah. ultra dark heart like, ripping yes yes this is like definitely. one of the darkest things i've ever seen like you know um regardless of whether it's animated or not and i will say that season six is not like that like there's it's not as challenging as previous seasons but it is still it's well, Jack Horseman, first so. half it's first only first half yeah we'll know. see we'll see there's still like i'm guessing you know five or six episodes to go so but i think bojack horseman season six continues to be brilliant and i would recommend this show to uh, anyone who might be intrigued by its premise. So that's BoJack Better Horseman than Joker. Uh, Dave, Dave Chen, better than Joker. That's correct. That's correct. Um, all right. Devinder, what have you been watching? Uh, I saw Dolomite Is My Name, the new Netflix movie starring Eddie Murphy. And uh, folks, Eddie Murphy's back. This movie Whoa. is so good. Wow. So good. This movie feels like uh, yeah, I haven't seen Eddie Murphy in a movie this good, I think, in decades. Um, I get, what was the last, like, truly great Eddie Murphy movie? And maybe his, like, Donkey, you know, maybe his, Shrek. like, most memorable, yeah, role recently. But truly great, truly, tra- you know, amazing art. Uh, I feel like this movie is it. It's a biopic of um, Rudy Ray Moore, the kind of underground comedian who really came up with his dirty comedy and kind of turned that uh, basically through sheer force of will turned that into a black exploitation movie career as well. Um, and yeah, it's a movie entirely about this guy. Eddie Murphy plays him. Uh, it's really interesting to see Eddie Murphy playing a guy who is kind of down and out and, you know, talented, but not, not quite making it because I feel like I can't, it's sort of like seeing Will Smith, play somebody who who just can't catch a break in life like i just can't believe it anymore because he, he's eddie murphy right i feel like he's uh perfectly believable in this uh in this film and he is hilarious it's well written it's well directed it's directed by craig brewer who did hustle and flow uh black snake moan i, I believe he co-created empire as well this guy knows his music and like creation uh stuff like a uh, hustle and flow is one of the best like movies about making music and about making art uh that's come out recently and this this entire movie is basically about the the struggle of making an independent movie because that's what the first dolomite movie was they had no idea what they were doing they didn't know how to like run cameras or anything so a lot of this is rudy ray moore uh you know taking the money he earns from his comedy records kind of investing everything to create this movie because he feels like he he needs to be in the movies and the story of that it's just it's amazing it's great eddie murphy's great the entire cast is fantastic um but i will have to say special shout out to wesley snipes who is in this movie and is hilarious 
hilarious in the way that we've forgotten Wesley Snipes could be since the 90s. Like, we remember him as Blade. We remember him as, like, you know, the the grizzled action hero in a lot of 90s movies. I think we've forgotten, Eddie, you know, like... Priscilla Queen of the Desert. Priscilla Queen of the Desert. He can be hilarious. So this movie really, he plays um, an actor, his name I forget right now, but he was he was like the only notable name uh, that uh, Rudy Ray Moore was able to get to work on Dolomite. And he, uh, that actor also ended up directing the movie. Um, and he just plays this guy as like a very foppish, very like hilarious uh, artsy guy. It's kind of hard to explain, but every single word that comes out of Wesley Snipes' mouth in this movie, I think, I think is gold. So go check it out. Uh, fair warning: it is a dirty ass movie. It is, <laughs> this is a movie about blue, blue, blue comedy. So don't watch with your kids around. Don't watch, you know, maybe don't watch with your folks if you're not cool with that sort of thing. It is super blue, but I think it is. It's it's hilarious. It's amazing. I'm so heartened that this creative crew, so Greg uh, Craig Brewer and uh, Eddie Murphy, are going to be working on Coming to America two together. Um, that gives me a lot of hope for that movie because I love Coming to America. I did not want to see a sequel, but now that you know these folks are involved and uh, Wesley Snipes apparently because uh, Eddie Murphy had such a great time making this movie with Wesley Snipes and this crew, uh, he's basically just trying to bring everybody back for Coming to America. So looking forward to that as well. Uh, but go uh, check this out. Let's 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 just take a second and step through the Eddie Murphy oeuvre. Yeah. Since Shrek, okay. Oh, now, Shrek is two thousand one. Dr. Doolittle 2, yeah. Show, Showtime, The Adventures of Pluto Nash, <laughs> Daddy Daycare, The Haunted Mansion, another Shrek movie, uh, and then Dreamgirls, Dream Norbit, Girls good. Yeah. Norbit, Meet Dave, Imagine That, Tower Heist, which I actually really liked, mm. uh, A Thousand Words, I don't even know what that is, maybe that's... Uh, <laughs> Mr. Church, and now Dolomite is my name. Well, yeah. you know, honestly, that isn't Woof. as bad as I thought it was. Like, I like I actually thought there was like some decent uh, movies in there. So, well, I don't know about decent, but I think a lot of those made money. <laughs> I think that's the key for Eddie Murphy's career. But like Dream Girl, he was good in Dream Girls. Dream Girls is good, but that that was also like a rarity in the last like twenty years, right? Uh, this movie feels like a creative reboot for him. This feels like Eddie Murphy coming out saying, "Listen, you think I'm I'm." Just, you know, I'm kind of a sellout. You think I don't know how to be good anymore or how to make good things anymore? This feels like a very big stamp that he's trying to say that he's back, baby. All yeah, right. I mean, he's got Coming to America mm -hmm. with the two as the two. Uh, and Beverly Hills Cop 4, uh, both on the on the docket. And then Triplets, which I assume is, is going to be uh, Eddie Murphy in lots of makeup. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, he's uh, he's getting on that horse. Get it's the sequel horse. to Twins, and we're not going to explain how that happens. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm ready. I, dude, I'm ready for a Murphysance. Yeah. I am. Oh, I am. need it. That's rough, man. You can't. You, you, a wise man once told me you can't just assance everything, Jeff. I know. Um, I learned it by watching you, Dave. All right. So <laughs> that's Dolomite is my name, and it is available right now on Netflix. I've heard it's great, so I'm actually looking so forward good. to checking it out. Yeah. Uh, Devendra, what else have you been watching? I've also seen a little thing called Watchmen on HBO, mm. and I have been waiting. Like, I've been anticipating this thing for so long. Uh, I remember I, I got you guys on board with Leftovers, but I was like, I was there. I was there at the beginning with Leftovers. I was really, like, feeling what Lindelof was doing, and I really wanted to believe in this guy post-Lost and everything. Because I think he's a very talented writer and showrunner. 
certainly making a super long, super dense mythological show like Lost can kind of destroy you. So, of course, that didn't end so well. Um, we'll say about Watchmen, I love the show. I love every single thing about the show. This show opens with, um, it's not a huge spoiler to say it, but the very first scene of this show recreates the uh, the Tulsa riots. And I feel like that is, that's something, you know, it, it's it's something that I think more people are learning about now. And certainly after Tana has uh, mentioned it in his reparations piece, but you know, it's a major thing that happened to a community that was called black wall street in Tulsa where racists and eventually I guess the government as well, basically obliterated this town and killed a lot of people along the way. And this show opens with that. It's insane to me. Um, this show is basically doing what Watchmen did as a comic in the 80s, sort of like taking the superhero mythologies, maybe dressing them down a little and making them more realistic and using them as a statement against like capitalist society and like the greed of the 80s and everything. This movie is doing that for racism. This movie is like this show is swinging big and it really feels like a show about like the one thing superheroes can't fix. You know, there, there's no big evil yeah, Ultron or uh, Thanos for racism. That is just society. That's just like within the fabric of, you know, of humanity and civilization. And this show is confronting that completely. And I find that astounding. Um, they're just doing some great work here. Regina King stars in the show is like a former cop who's now a vigilante superhero who's also working with the cops. So I, I guess technically not a vigilante, but she has a costume. She has powers. She has the ability to kick ass because she's Regina King. And I totally believe that. Um, and the show just, it is so bold. It feels bold in the way that leftovers was where it really doesn't ground you. It doesn't give you a lot of context. It expects that you have read Watchmen. It expects that you have remembered certain aspects of Watchmen because it actively like invokes the history of it. It is literally a sequel to the comic. So there's a lot of stuff happening where I feel like even seasoned Watchmen people will have to like take a step back and wonder why this is happening and try to figure it out. And to me, I, this is the sort of media I love. I love trying to figure things out like this more than the like overt puzzle uh, nature of like something like uh freaking um, what's the cowboy show Westworld. To me, this is far more satisfying because the world is rich. The world feels lived in and it's just presented in a way where you kind of have to figure it out. I'm totally cool with that. I love everything about it. It looks amazing. Um, can't wait to see where it goes. And also shout out to Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross's uh, score for this thing, which uh, every time the score comes up, guys, I just I feel like I'm just getting up and like clapping in my living room because it, it kicks so much ass. Everything about the show. It, it rules. It rules. This show rules. <laughs> I cannot stop gushing over it. So right. please. Well, it's a solid score. And I actually agree with everything you said, except one thing, which is uh, you said that uh, you you must read Watchmen, like the comics, or you must be familiar with Watchmen in order to enjoy the show. And I I, I don't know if the answer to that question is yes yet. Um, because what, what's fascinating about the show is that the mythology of Watchmen, Alan Moore's Watchmen, the graphic mm -hmm. novel, Although Alan Moore's name is nowhere to be found Correct. on the show. Not attached to the show at all, because he does not bless any derivative works um, from nope. Watchmen. And Dave Gibbons' Watchmen, as far as the show's yeah. concerned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, that's a fascinating thing, too, is like, 
I always was one. I always thought like you know, uh, it's it's so weird that Damon Lindelof, who's like a creator himself, or you know Zack Snyder, who's a creator himself, would like make a show. Like, can can you imagine making a thing thing based on a book where you do not have the creator's blessing? You know, like or yeah, not only yeah. not, not only not have the creator's blessing, he explicitly does not want you to do what you're doing. Uh, I think that would be very difficult. But something that Damon Lindelof brought up in his letter to fans at the beginning of this process was like, do not the other people who work on Watchmen also have a stake in like allowing derivative works to be created, of which Dave Gibbons is one of them, right? Um, so uh, he's the was, only other one of them, really. <laughs> I think there was, yeah, I, mean, he's, I guess he's, he's letterer. Yeah, the letterer. That's right. Yeah. So, but he's the main other one. Correct. His 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 art really helped to bring the world to life. Um, sure. But uh, what's fascinating to me, Divindra, is that like it, when you're watching a show like Westworld or any show that has a deep mythology, uh, the the show will bring up like yeah. things that are mysteries. Like, why? Hey, why do? Why does that guy act like that? Or why is he yeah. in that situation? And why are the cops strange? wearing masks? Right. Why there's are the a, cops wearing a lot of things? Et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of things like that. And in a normal show, you just trust that the uh, showrunner or the people behind the show are going to explain that to you during the course of the show. Right, you're just like, oh, they're introducing a bunch of mysteries, and uh, they're going to explain them. In Watchmen, those mysteries are things that are answered in the comic book. Now, they may not be explained in the show. Uh, I, I actually, my hunch is that they will be explained in the show, but they may not be. But I actually, I, th- I think they will be. In which case, it's fascinating that they're using the book as kind of like uh, this thing that is like a, a, a background setting for these mysteries. But, but yeah, if you've read yeah. the book, then you already know the answer to some of the mysteries, right? Well, some of them, but but that's why, like I was watching this with my wife who has no grounding. Like we saw the Watchmen movie together, but she, she has no recollection of that yeah. thing. Um, but she was completely lost. I I've talked to a mean. lot of people who have no, like who have no grounding in Watchmen at all. And they're, they're just like, what the hell is happening? I've had people like that's that's my experience as well as watching with my wife. And Mm. I mean, I literally walked to my bookshelf and picked up Watchmen and brought it over to her and, you know, and it was like the last, the last shot of the first episode is the, you know, the the blood drop. And I'm like, well, that's, it's really important that you know what that is. That's less important. Yeah. That's less important in my opinion. They're they're like nice, uh, like uh, I think uh, reflections of the imagery from the comic, but the actual core of it, like, why are squids falling from the sky? Yeah, but well, I, I, it turns out. So, so as as Devinger points out, there are homages to the book and the film, right? So, like, I, I I think those are less important for you to know, like the blood drop, like you're saying, that's not super important. Um, and I actually think stuff like the squid that happens in the first episode will be explained in the course of the of the show. So, like, I, I actually don't. I really don't. I, I really I really don't think it will. They never I, explained the like core conceit of leftovers. Remember, like that that no, is I know. still an I, open I, I know, but yeah, that's that's what, well, that's what's great is like that show still worked without that. Yeah, and yeah. and I think this show can work without some of the things explained. And if you read the book, it can work. That being said, I mean, I I acknowledge that your lived experience is real with the people that you know who are completely lost. Uh, I will say that when I tweeted about Watchmen, like several people responded and said, like I, I had never read the book, never watched the movie, was still able to greatly enjoy the first episode. Right. But your oh, audience, sure. you're just people who like, yeah, yeah, are, are don't know difficult media. Well, also, my my wife yeah. watched it, and she she's never watched the book movie or sure. read the book, and she was able to enjoy it as well. But yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a show that makes you work. You know, it's not yes. like a show that like. Uh, you can just sit back and relax and take in like an episode of Law and Order SVU. So, and I, I, and I think that's that's to, to Devinder's point of it being bold is that I think it is fine with you not understanding. Like the point of that squid, 
the point of that squid scene isn't to reference the movie, which is not even the book, the movie, but also it, it is to say this, this is a strange place where weird shit happens. And that, and that surface level interpretation is enough for the show in that moment. Yes. There's a layer that you can glean that is deeper than that. If you have that backstory, but the show is okay with you going, it's just weird. Yeah, just accept accept the mystery and let's move on. Let's move on with the story. Um, Let me, I can also tie Watchmen back to our Decatur meetup, by the way, because most of the (laughs) downtown scenes uh, in downtown Tulsa uh, are downtown Decatur. Mm -hmm. And they they didn't even change any of the store names, too. So it is hilarious to see, like, there's certain things that end up happening that really center on the town square. And you'll see stores like the Iberian Pig, which is a, a tapas restaurant down there. So that's fun. Uh, like everything's happening in Atlanta now, it's hilarious. Jeff Kanata, I, I, I don't think I have a good sense of like what your opinion is on this movie yet. What, what did you think of, or uh, on the show? Like you saw the first episode, what do you think of it? Are you excited? I've only seen the first. There have been two that have aired as of our discussion. I've only seen the first. I'm anxious to see the second. <clears throat> um, it's a tough watch. It is. It is a show that makes you. It, it, you know, it's not a feel good hit of the summer. It is going to be. It's one that puts you through the ringer in the first ten minutes of the show. You know, I see a a boy about the age of my son running through war torn streets, yeah. clutching his dad, and I almost turned it off at that point, just because I have a hard time with that kind of imagery at this point. And and it you know it got worse from there. I mean, that is the least disturbing thing that the that the that the show delves into in that first sequence. Um, so it is it is a it is a difficult show that is dealing with difficult issues. But I am a hundred percent on Devendra's team with regard to how bold it is. The fact that this is like mainstream HBO entertainment, uh, in the, in its prime Sunday night slot and it is doing what it's doing is extraordinary. It's extraordinary. I I feel like HBO has understood like a big part of their gamble is just like, well, we don't know what game of Thrones is, but people seem to be buying it. Right. So they're betting more on weird things and they've always kind of had room for this. So, I think that's fun to see. And it's nice to see that it's not just like Netflix and the streaming services who are like betting on big original content. Well, I guess this is still original. Like the idea of doing a straight up sequel to Watchmen and not just like recreating it painstakingly. Um, I think that's a pretty original idea, even though it's using like the the building blocks of the of the book. Uh, second episode, by the way, has a wonderfully harsh smackdown against Zack Snyder. It is hilarious. <laughs> it is hilarious. Be sure to like it cackle when you see it. Yeah. I mean, I, th- this one is one of those shows where I'm like, man, I don't know. It, putting me through that ringer. I mean, leftovers was kind of like that too. It was, yeah. it's, it yeah. was a hard I, I, show. It, so I, I have seen more episodes. I will be writing something about it. Uh, it changes a little too. Mm. Like it is, I think just like leftovers, it is a very like, it's a very emotional grounding where they start and then the show kind of opens up in a way that is fun and unexpected and still kicks plenty of ass because I need that score. I just need that score when I'm just walking around life because it is it, to me, it sounds like the best thing, you know, the best score uh, Reznor and Atticus uh, Finch or Atticus Ross have done. I think it is crazy how much it expects you to be familiar with Watchmen. Yes. I, I don't agree yeah. with you, Dave, that, that zero knowledge of Watchmen as a thing will feel 
good. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I know there. I, I guess my I'm wife saying I don't know. Show. I don't know how it's going to feel. Like we've you've seen the X Files. We've seen tons of shows mm-hmm. where like there's like 15 mysteries introduced in the first episode, and right. it's extremely likely. Like in episode two alone, they explain something that happened in Watchmen. You, you know, like uh, it's just like I don't know, man. I feel like. The, the you know there's a a, pa- a pan across a newspaper that says you know vet killed or something and it's like I feel like that's all we're gonna get about Adrian Vet I feel like mm. that's that's mm. the it, that's the show going we're not dealing with this character at all so just disavow <laughs> yourself of that and then there's like a shot just one shot of Doctor Manhattan on Mars yeah from and far or the like, farthest yeah, angle I, I mean Jeff see. like yeah. literally both of those things I think you are dead wrong about so like uh, you <laughs> know I don't I don't know how to say more without spoiling things but like yeah. I, ju- I just think you're completely well wrong. you you know for a fact that I'm dead wrong yes at least one of them oh. yeah the first okay. uh, the first episode at least answered one of your questions yeah, the, sec- but... the second episode answers one of the questions yes yeah yeah, yeah. and um President Robert Redford little little things like that like why mm-hmm. why is there a President Robert Redford what's going on but that is <laughs> The show just like says like it just like throws these things out there, expects you to like deal with it. And I love that the difficulty of that. It's just so rewarding to watch. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's Watchmen. It's on HBO. I, I think it's brilliant. And I think that uh, it, 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 I, I would actually argue like if you if you are extremely familiar with the books, it actually doesn't even help that much. Like it helps a little mm-hmm. bit because you have some sense of like yes, some of the events that new. have happened. Yeah. But like it's so it's such a uh, new perspective. It is it's yeah. trying to say so many different things than what the book was trying to say. In my, it opinion. actually might be the kind of thing that I mean, from my experience watching the first episode, it, it was almost distracting of me trying to put things together and 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 understand. Like, why is he trying right. the night owls driving night owls ship? And yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. like the things that I'm re- recognizing that my wife isn't are bothering me rather right. than, you know, pulling me out. Uh, so maybe there is, there is some truth to that. Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, 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 yeah, it, it's one of the things that's great. You know, I actually went back and reread the graphic novel and rewatched the Zack Snyder movie to kind of uh, prepare. You, did, you went too far, but okay. <laughs> and we should, we should be really clear that like, in the universe of the Watchmen HBO show, like the Zack Snyder movie didn't happen. Like it's, it is squarely based off of the book. It's not the, the ending of the novel and the movie are very different. And the one that happens in the novel is the one that this yes. uh, show assumes is canon. So like, but I, 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 there is a show within a show in this, in yeah, this no, show. I agree. I, I agree. I know. Yeah. yeah, it yeah. is. It, it refers nerds, to Zack Snyder's work. Nerds like Agreed. us are looking at this and be like, "Oh, that is that's just like Zack Snyder's number right there." It's yes, hilarious, but it's not. It's not part of the storyline of the movie. Um, yeah. Um, so, or it's not relevant to like the main plot of the movie. So, I think that um, uh, one thing that I love about the the original Watchmen, right, is like I've been hearing about for years how it's like a deconstruction of comic book superheroes, right, and like. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until recent. I know this is like obvious. Like, okay, yes, whoever understood this a long time ago, you're very smart. I'm not trying to say I'm a genius <laughs> or anything like that. But like, I, I think like in my most recent reading is when I re- it fully dawned on me that like, uh, w- what's great about Watchmen is it sh- it shows you different iterations of what the characters that we love would be, right? Like, yes. what would yeah. it be like if a normal dude dressed up in a suit? And tried to fight crime. What would it be if an extremely emotionally disturbed dude 
in a suit dressed up and tried to fight crime. Yeah. Like Rorschach what if a god appeared. Why would they care about us? You know, right? R- like R- Rorschach was Alan Moore's attempt at creating a realistic version of Batman. You know, he's like, yeah. if there was, if Batman was real, uh, and like there's actually a dude that was like really hated everything and like uh, wanted to exterminate crime, what would that actually be like? He would probably not take showers. You know, he would probably. Uh, murder people because he'd be so yeah. like dwelling on the evil of the city all nobody the... would want to hang out with him nobody would want yeah. to hang out with him he'd be like a terrible person and that, that's kind of what uh rorschach is and then and then what if there actually was a superman what if there actually was a super like what would the God. geopolitical implications of that be right yeah yep. and that's yep. dr manhattan and it's like wow like you get the whole spectrum of what that would be and the, in the in and that the book, thing that you right? That is that is the craziest thing about that in a time when like Watchmen debuts beside the boys, which is doing basically the same, you know, post postmodern view. The thing that's crazy to think about is that no one was doing that when Alan Moore did it. Right. You know, no one was doing it. Yeah. It was like that. And Dark Knight Returns changed comics it it, it, nobody was thinking along those terms or showing things in that kind of stark reality. It's. It's hard to even put our minds there now because that is just part of the fabric of those stories that people have done stuff like that Mm -hmm. and done analogs of these characters. And he wanted to do them with DC's actual characters. He he only made Watchmen because he had to. (laughs) He wanted to do it with Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman, you know. And can you imagine what that would have been like? But, you know, ultimately that limitation created something even greater because you got to invent all these wonderful characters and this imagery that is so interesting, the comedian and, and Rorschach and all these characters, but man, he was really, you know, he's, he is an eccentric and a very odd dude, but a genius. You're referring uh, to Alan Moore. Yeah. Um, yes, yes, yes. And, uh, yeah, I completely agreed. And, and, but what's gr- amazing about the show is like, I feel like, it's very little concerned with any of that stuff we just talked about. You know, like it is right. charting completely new territory in terms of like right. what it, yeah. what kind of like social commentary you can extract from this world. Uh, yes, there's stuff in there about like vigilantism and stuff, but it's like really, it's you know, Davinder, you're talking about like how like basic so- societal inequalities and, and racism and, yep. and how that's woven into the fabric of humanity. Like that's really what the show is about. It's and and yes, racism was a component of uh, Alan Moore's Watchmen, but I it is certainly brought to the forefront in this movie. And of, of course, the uh, Regina King, you're talking about her performance. She is the protagonist of the show. Like she. Uh, is the main character, and uh, it, it, the the whole all the stuff is revolves around what she's going through, and I think it's going to be really fascinating as the season goes on. So I think it's really bold, it's original, even though it's derivative, uh, and it's worth watching, in my opinion. And, uh, yeah, well, is derivative the word to use? It is not. It's it's literally derived from another work, but I yeah. mean, it, you know, it the way is, we it, use derivative is <laughs> yeah, yeah, like you, yeah, you think it's a negative word, it's not pejorative. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, a pejorative. it's not pejorative. I'm just saying it's. Yeah. But it's, this is a good way. This is a good way to derive things, right? Like, yeah, yeah, using the past to like build a new story that's completely fresh. And I think even more, like you're saying, Jeff, like even more confusing to people who know what happened before, because it's really hard to parcel a lot of these things together. Yeah. 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 Well, speaking of things that are derived from other things. Cat litter. Wow. <laughs> you know, cat litter derives from cats, right? Like cats eat things, they produce cat litter. 
Speaking uh, of let's, pooping let's on also, the past. Yeah, let's reset this because that's not how cat litter works. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. Good good call. <laughs> um, Devendra, why don't you tell us about cat litter and our newest sponsor, Pretty Litter? Sure. I'm going to tell you guys how much I love my cats. I've had them both, Coco and Shoshana. Shoshana named after uh, Inglorious Bastards, of course. Um, I've had them for about 10 years. I love them. They're, they're amazing. They were my companions when I moved to New York. Uh, what I don't love is the hard work involved with cat litter. Uh, lugging 20-pound bags and boxes from the store, uh, dealing with the mess of it. It's uh, it's not great. So I want to tell you guys about Pretty Litter, uh, which is basically kitty litter 2.0. So it's litter that you buy online. It's shipped to your door in a small lightweight bag, and it lasts a month. Uh, because it's um, actually gel-based. So you only have to scoop out the poop. The urine is fine. It's just there. You don't have to run to the store. You don't have to deal with heavy bags or anything like that. It also has next-level odor protection. Those super-absorbent crystals trap and conceal odor and moisture. So you really don't have to worry much about it. I think what's really cool is that Pretty Litter can also monitor your cat's health. So when your cat pees, uh, the litter itself changes color to detect medical issues. Uh, So yeah, if it turns a specific color, you can be like, oh, this could be a kidney problem or this could be a UTI, which is something cats get a lot. So all that stuff is great. I think cats are mysteries and I have to take them to the vet a lot because it's really hard to tell what's wrong with them. So it's kind of amazing that there's cat litter now that can tell you what's up with your cat. So do what I did and make the switch to Pretty Litter today by visiting prettylitter.com and use promo code FILMCAST for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com, promo code FILMCAST for 20% off. prettylitter.com, promo code FILMCAST. Thanks to Pretty Litter for sponsoring us uh, on today's episode of the Slash Filmcast. Now, uh, before we get to our review of Parasite today, I do want to just follow up with something that happened a few weeks ago on the podcast. Uh, we, we got our first best man request. Uh, on on the podcast, if you if you'll remember, right? Somebody donated money, uh, and as part of their donation, they wanted us to ask someone else to be their best man. Uh, specifically, uh, a listener named Brandon uh, donated and asked that Travis be his best man. And uh, Travis actually has a response for us. He wrote in. Uh, quote, I am the Travis that Brandon Lane, uh, best man, proposed to a couple weeks ago. Hearing Brandon's name mentioned on the podcast was very cool. At first I thought, hey, maybe it's another Brandon Lane. But as the details emerged, I became more and more excited that it was, in fact, him. Then the bomb dropped. It was one of the most thoughtful and meaningful things anyone has ever done for me. Brandon and I both grew up without a brother, so we were both each other's brothers. We share the same love of movies, of you guys, and the same sense of humor. So to Brandon, I say this, blow it out your ass, you're dead to me. Actually, though, I never thought I would be anyone's best man. To be your best man is nothing short of the highest honor, and I can't wait to be there for you. You're my best friend, and I love you. Hopefully, you see this email and can read it back to him. I genuinely freaked out when I heard the podcast while sitting at my desk. There were tears and cheers, and I immediately called my wife and parents and had them listen to the episode for that part. It's one of the best parts of my week listening to you guys. Thanks so much for what you do. So... That's that is awesome. Con- that is the conclusion of the Travis and Brandon uh, best man saga. I love uh, how we yeah. have these ongoing sagas. This is great. Let's keep it going. <laughs> it's yeah. so fantastic. Although I have to say, uh, the the little twist at the end, I called my wife, was 
Brandon Travis's best man? Uh oh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know why you're asking that question on the air because if if that wasn't the case, then you're just sowing more dissent in their relationship. I'm just saying it's uh it's maybe the plot twist that none of us saw coming. <laughs> this is like that moment in the crime in like Columbo when he's like, but wait, like why do you have the shoelaces? You know, like yeah, there's a moment where Brandon's like, wait, wait, Travis, you're you're married. <laughs> I, I, w- I wasn't there. Wow, Jeff. Wait, he wait, slipped wait, up right there at the end. He was, it was so great. He asked me, and I, I immediately asked my wife, not knowing that that was his greatest mistake. Hmm. Well, Jeff, way to take what was an like extremely lovely moment and adding some, uh, yeah. you know, some... <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. We also got a donation from Russell Carrington from Australia who writes in, longtime listener from Australia, thank you for always entertaining me on my way to university or college. Um, thanks so much for all your donations. You can always donate to us by going to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. Uh, it does cost money to put on the show to go see movies, and all the money you go does help us defray those costs. So again, paypal.me slash filmcast. You can also donate at $2 per month by going to slash film.com, use the slash filmcast tab, and the PayPal link's on the side of the page. We never want you to donate if it in any way causes you hardship. But if you want to throw some bucks our way, uh, that would be great. And if you want to support us for free, for no money whatsoever, just go to Apple Podcasts, leave a star rating. It takes a few seconds. We could really use them. It helps us to stand out amongst the crowd of film podcasts. Let's get to our review. Of Parasite. 부모님 얼굴도 뵙고 좋더라 건강들 하시고. 일거리가 없으셔도. 네가 내 대신 얘 과외 선생님 좀 해줘라 영어. 대학생인 척하라는 거야? 구라를 좀 치지 뭐. 넌이 좋은 실력으로 왜 미디는 맨날 떨어지냐. 아씨 죽을래. 저는 이게 위조나 범죄라고 생각하지 않아요. 참으로 시적절하다. 부자들이 원래 참잘 속아. 사모님이 뭐랄까? 풀타임으로 소음 어떻게 하시는지. Is it okay with you? That was from the trailer for Parasite, the newest film by writer-director Bong Joon-ho. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. All unemployed, Kai Taek's family takes particular interest in the wealthy and glamorous parks for their livelihood until they get entangled in an unexpected incident. Very, very vague there, um, and uh, I think appropriately so. Uh, so Parasite, I mean, this is a movie that I've heard is one of the best films of the decade. I heard it's one of the best films of 2019. Uh, the, the hype was almost unbelievable in terms of like how high my expectations were going into this movie. As you all know, it's been a particularly rough movie year for me personally, just like my own opinions on movies. I I haven't liked most of the movies. (laughs) Imagine imagine us having to listen to you. I know. It sounds horrendous. Um, But yeah, I I literally have not liked most of the movies I've seen this year. And so, uh, and I've heard like people talk up like once upon a time, amazing movie, watched it, you know, brutally disappointed. So uh, Parasite, a movie that I have like pretty sky high expectations for. And Devendra, I'm assuming after you saw like, you know, 33 sold out shows for, uh, yeah, on the schedule, you're like, hey, this this has got to be probably pretty good. It was all everybody was talking about in New York. It so, was so, maddening that you didn't get to see it that first weekend. So given all those expectations, did you feel like the final film lived up to them? I will say, yeah. Like, I was, I was pretty blown away by this movie. It is... Um, 
this is Bong Joon-ho doing like straight up social commentary about modern life in Korea. It kind of reminded me a lot of Burning in that sense, too. Yeah, like yeah. this is a movie that's distinctly about class struggles and what people who are at the bottom will do to get up top. But it is it's reflexive in a way like it. it I feel like there aren't really many good guys and bad guys in this movie, uh, just bad situations that gets worse and worse. It feels like a Coen brother movie basically in Korea where like the small time hustlers who will just kind of do whatever it takes to survive because life is hard in a capitalist society. Um, they see this opportunity, they jump on it and shit gets out of hand really fast. Um, it's a beautiful film. Uh, I think the, the way it's shot, the way everything is framed, uh, this family, lives in a basement lives below everybody at street level basically and uh the symbolism of that versus the very nice rich house on a hill that they end up uh you know that is a big focus of this movie i think you know it's it's very blunt but i think the way that imagery kind of works out in the film it has a lot of weight to it as well um it's nice to see bong joon ho going back to something that's maybe a little more subtle as well compared to like freaking Snowpiercer and compared to Okja, which uh, I love Snowpiercer. I really liked Okja, but it definitely felt like he was going to, he was leaning on like this very like high energy absurdist type of filmmaking after a while. This is a much more subdued movie that has crazy elements and crazy points. And I like that kind of Bong Joon-ho, honestly, like I, I don't need him to swing crazily all the time. I like to see him more reserved and really trying to say something here. And I feel like this movie definitely does that. Jeffrey Canada, your thoughts on Parasite? Well, Dave, <laughs> I guess you could say my thoughts about Parasite are best summed up in the form of a limerick. A movie with many styles in it, from comedy to horror, it pivots. Romance and a con and a family drama, all great. But for those final five minutes. Whoa. Wow. Family drop. Well, we will have to talk. We'll have to talk about the final five minutes and spoilers. But tell us about what you loved until those final five minutes. Well, I did. I did love this movie. It is a ride, man. It is a ride. This is not a short movie, uh, but it is. I I had no idea where I was going. The roller coaster of emotions. Yeah, Uh, it is. It is crazy bouncing between tones unexpected things happening genuinely touching very subtle character stuff with way broad crazy physical stuff and goofy stuff and terrifying thrillery stuff the ability to just bounce around like that and not have it feel like a complete uh you know uh, a mess <laughs> is is quite something i'm not somebody that loved snowpiercer uh i thought it had really great ideas but it, it just didn't work for me completely um and i really disliked Oakja. yeah but man parasite feels like the movie that he has been capable of or at least for me it was it it really so- sold me on the talent of this guy and I, there's nothing else like it. Well, it's, really... more like, it's more like The Host and more like Mother, which are even subtler movies that he made before, you know, Snowpiercer and Okta. Yeah, I do, I've not seen those, and maybe I should go back and see them. The, you will I, love The Host, I can guarantee that. That movie yeah. will destroy you, yeah. Well, I maybe I should go back and see that, but I, I sort of, you know, became aware of him with Snowpiercer, uh, and 
this one feels like, okay, I'm on board. Uh, this guy is, is, is a very talented filmmaker with some really interesting things to say. I do think the ball is a little bit fumbled at the very, 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 very end of this movie. And it's unfortunate. Like if you literally just truncated the last five minutes of this movie, I think it would be a much better movie. Uh, and I don't think it would not feel like it has an end. Like it, it would feel like it has an end. And then you just, just cut off those last five minutes or whatever it is. <laughs> um, but the, the ride up to that is, is full of such wonderful twists and turns. And it's not often in a movie you feel like, I just don't know where we're headed here. Yeah. And yeah, it's got some social commentary. It's got some black comedy. It's got, you know, it, it's got really broad themes and, and it, it, it's not afraid to be goofy at times, but also really sweet and poignant. And, uh, the imagery, as you said, Devendra, the imagery is, is beautiful. I mean, there's some shots specifically, there's a sequence where there's a flood in, in heavy rain yeah. that is just yeah. spectacular. And, and really evocative, uh, and there's tension. The movie really creates moments of of genuine edge of your seat tension. It is, it's really quite something. I just want to cut off the last few <laughs> moments of this movie. It is insane to me. This they built pretty much everything for this movie. Like that whole that whole neighborhood, that under like that basement apartment built yeah. for the movie. The the crazy modern house built for the movie, and the second floor doesn't even exist. That was green screen. So like this movie just feels like a commitment, such a big commitment in terms of what they're trying to say and what they did to really make this vision happen. I've been recommending this movie since I saw it to people. I, I hope more people see it. It's, it's quite something, it, it, you know, I just don't think it's, you know, perfect based on what I've said several times now, but yeah, you know, yeah. we'll talk about that in spoilers. All right. Well, I want to get to spoilers pretty quickly and I'll just say, I agree with you folks. I think it's, it's a brilliant movie. I think it's, Feels like a masterpiece to me, you know, feels like uh, something that is going to stand the test of time that is of its moment. I mean, we're we're in a very kind of like eat the rich moment in terms of like our popular culture. I feel like there's there's been like several uh, another movie that came out this year, actually, Us being a movie that touches on many of the themes that are brought up in this yes. movie. But I, I wonder why we're thinking about that. Hmm. Hmm. But I think what's great about this movie is something Jeff brings up is like that it is able to do so many different tones, you know, and uh, my my favorite Bong Joon-ho movie is actually really difficult to watch. I'm like that hipster that's like I was into Bong Joon-ho before you guys were. <laughs> um, but I mean, the, uh, the my favorite Bong Joon-ho movie is, is Memories of Murder. Which uh, of course, is of very course, difficult yeah. to actually like rent or acquire uh, uh, in the United States, um, and I I actually uh, it was one of my first DVD reviews I ever written uh, I ever wrote for a movie website was Memories of Murder, and I, I got the DVD yeah. for free, and uh, and I, at some point I gave it away because I'm like you know this is going to be uh, like I'll eventually get the Blu-ray of this great movie. Uh, there is no Blu-ray, and so now Memories of Murder DVDs are like eighty dollars online. Um, so I feel pretty dumb that I gave that away and that there's no, um, there's literally no easy way to watch the movie right now unless you buy it off of eBay. So that's a bummer. But, uh, but what, what's, what's great about Memories of Murder and that also exists here is like the, the juxtaposition between the ultra dark and the very, very funny, you know, like that there's these moments where, like someone might be about to get killed or someone might be in ho horrible mortal danger, whatever. And then like the next moment he's dropping jokes like left and right. And 
very few filmmakers can effectively pull that off. As you said, Jeff, mm-hmm. very few filmmakers can make that not feel like a, a total mess. And Bong Joon-ho is one of those filmmakers. And I think he does a great job of it here. I, I like what this movie has to say about our society. And I think every component of it is uh, effective. I think one one thing that you touch upon, Domingo, that I, uh, I kind of got is that like this is a movie that is both extremely subtle and also very, very not subtle at times. Like, Which is basically yeah, very broad. Hood. Like, yeah, I feel like yeah. that's him, you know, big swings and then small little interesting jabs. Right, yeah. like there's like amazing, beautifully subtle moments like, oh my gosh, this like look that this character has on their face communicate, like wordless look communicates so much. And then, you know, there's another moment that's like, oh wow, um, so extremely like hit you on the head, obvious that... Uh, it, it it veers dangerously close to being you know too clunky, uh, but it never does become clunky in my opinion. So I, I think it's brilliant, and I think everyone should watch it. And we have a lot more to discuss. So shall we get to spoilers? Spoilers yeah. for Parasite starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No, but you won't find it because of course you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been. Dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. All right, Jeff. I mean, I'm sure we have a lot of thoughts on the ending, but we can start with your your beef with the ending. Like, what what did you not like about the ending? I, I I'm with the movie. I'm with the movie through the stab. You know, through the chaos of that, even I'll even <laughs> buy the dad kind of loses it and stab. You know, he got he's got a stab to do. Yeah, and we're in we're in like. <laughs> Over yeah. the top, you know, horror movie tropes, uh, you know, kill the rich people for the perceived, yeah. um, you know, injustices. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with the movie. I'm even with the movie that he goes and hides down in the that place. Like that's cool. <laughs> that's a cool use of the established rules of the world that we know, and he can go down there and hide. I'm not with the. I'll save up and buy that house. That's my solution is I'm going to buy the house. And then that makes it somehow okay that he can come out because I purchased the house. I don't. Oh man. Do you think that is real? You are breaking my heart right now with this reaction. Jeff. I mean, I think that like the, 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 we watch, we watch a, a, a letter that is quite long quite long <laughs> that was supposedly delivered over uh morse code through a light i guess he just would do that every day yes, for he would do it time. every yeah. night until yep. that for entire like, letter like yep he, here's that the thing. is the tragedy of his life at no that i point. get yeah. it <laughs> but you you're not going to use flowery language when you're morse code guy <laughs> listen you get a lot of time be, yeah on your hands. Gonna, what else is he gonna do jeff it's it's not You're like not he has a lot of. It's not like he has a lot of t- like stuff he has to. You know, he doesn't have a huge to do list down there. Yeah, but you know, I, 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 I don't know. Buying the uh, the adverbs, the uh, you know, the uh, prepositional phrases. All right, Jeff. Just... Here, let me. Okay, acknowledge <laughs> what your beef is. Let's put aside the adverbs for now, and and acknowledge your. Let me let me try to like you know. I, I know what you're like when you get this way. There's no way I can convince you that the ending is brilliant, right? But I, I'm going to try. I'm going to try, okay? I'm going to give it a shot, okay? Uh, Walking out of the, the 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 downstairs because he purchased the, the 
the house to me. I was just like, no. What? I no. don't get it. Like, what? What that is it that bothers you about? You don't like, know if that actually happened. Yeah, I, know I mean, I don't think it happened. I don't think it happened in the reality of the film. Yeah. But like, what? Yeah. Why? Why is that not a viable solution for that problem? In your opinion, Jeff? It doesn't. You can, there's lots of ways to get him out of there without having to buy the house. But, well, the point, the point, Jeff, is that he is now uh, ex- he is exiled from society. He's a he's a murderous fugitive now. So, like, the only way, he, obviously, he could escape anytime he wanted to. He goes upstairs to sneak food out of the fridge. Like, he obviously can get he out. Buries of the, house. the body. Yeah. The, the problem is not getting out of the house, Jeff. The problem is he cannot exist in society anymore. So that's why. The only way he can live with his family is if they acquire that house, so they can all live together. And he can, st- he'll still live secretly in the house, but like, uh, at least then he can like be with his family. He can't be with his family if they're outside of the house. There's no no other way to live secretly than to be in that in the house where the murders happened. Uh, I mean, I guess if you could find another place to live underground, but they already live underground. You know what you, I mean? You and want they like were- the bad scenario where he finds a fixer, he finds a new identity, he goes yeah. to Alaska. I mean, all of it feels yeah. more plausible. Then, then literally the son going, so what I did was, see, I just made lots of money. See, to me, that's what I so, did. Well, I just I made think, lots of money, yeah. and then well, I bought well, the house. Say, I think you're getting hung up on taking this so literally yeah. to Jeff. Like, oh, yeah. It is the heartbreak of that moment of the son from he, – he's still a poor guy. He's from a poor family. His ability to make this dream come true, that's like saying, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to grow up. I'm going to go to MIT. I'm going to say to be an astronaut. I'm going to make, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to space. And that's my dream. Like, it is such a far off thing. It probably will never happen. He is trapped there forever. And that, to me, is the real tragedy of yes. it, even though that's what the son will want. That, like, that, that, he, he, there's no escape. That is really? what the movie is saying. That is literally the thesis of the movie that, is, it, is that, that they, these people that are no unable, sense. these people are unable to elevate their station in life. Like, that, that is the whole point of the movie. Like, that's I what get that, it. yeah. Okay, go ahead. I get it. Yeah. I get it. I th- I get I got that through the movie. I got that <laughs> I got that when we were sitting in the literally lower than the ground level apartment and we sh- had to sit on the toilet that exploded toilet with poop. by the ceiling. Yeah. Yeah, I I got it, Dave. I wasn't it wasn't a mystery to me what the movie was saying. It, it, I mean, this movie is not subtle. It's All subtle, like I said, it's subtle at times, and then other right. times it's not subtle. But, it, but that theme in particular is, is you know, it's very clear. I, that's, I, that's, yeah, I mean, I, I think that what I, I guess I found very moving about that portion, and like, I, it's it's definitely a distinctively immigrant experience. But it's also you you don't need to be an oh, immigrant yeah, to like experience yeah. the idea of wanting to uh, do better and to provide for your parents. You know, like that, that is a, that I guess that was like, that's also an American idea, but obviously according to this movie, it's like a South Korean idea too, is that like, uh, that's what is so heartbreaking is that it is impossible, right? That it's like, Hey, I like by uh, making this much money or by surpassing my station in life, I can get my parents out of this like horrible situation. That is the dream. that every child I would, has. I, I think that's lovely. And I I think you've expressed it eloquently. I would <laughs> I would give the movie credit for expressing that if it didn't seem obvious to me in that moment that there are very a lot of easier <laughs> solutions to this problem. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna elaborately create a problem to express that idea, don't create one where I'm sitting there going. Boy, it sure seems easier to just do it a different way. 
boy, it sure seems easier <laughs> to just just smuggle him out in the dead of night when he's you know burying bodies and just go somewhere else. I, I There's I, really nowhere else for him to go. I think that's the main thing too. It's like where is he gonna go? Sneak into North Korea? He he's a, yeah he's yeah. a wanted murderer. You know I, I guess I just don't understand. Yeah anyway, but uh, sure like. Because they, li- they live in a basement, a Jeff. It's not like they can build like a special room for him, you know. Anyway, uh, no, it's no, fine. If, if we're expect we're expe- <laughs> we're, expe- we're expected to believe he's going to live there for the rest of his life, and the moment he steps out of it, a hundred people are going to be like, "That guy is Murder Man." No, it, it, there's been many movies where people are on the lamb and trying to, you know, I'm not saying we needed a whole extra movie of him getting out, but it, it really felt like. This is the plan. This is the thing I'm supposed well, to feel that, feel lands on me in, in in my heart because, like, if if the movie created a situation where that felt like the only answer to this problem, mm-hmm. I would be like, wow, that really landed yeah. powerfully. I just sat there going, dude, there are other <laughs> ways to. Have you seen this. Breaking Bad? Come yes. on, haven't you seen any movie about? you know, the fugitive on the run from things like this fucking happens. Yeah. It always works out well for them. Right. <laughs> In every one of those. Movies. It certainly yeah. works out better than just hoping, just continually doing no, more. He, he could Not even knowing. Stay, he could probably live there for a while. Like right, for I, a long, I really, long yeah, gonna, yeah. we really need to change the topic because there's like so many other things to talk about in this movie and <laughs> yes, I'll be, I'll feel yes. really bad if we don't get to them. So, uh, Jeff acknowledged, you know, I, I knew I would fail and I did fail, uh, in trying to convince you that it was a good ending. And, uh, you know, well, I, I think your beef even... is completely legit, but like, there's like 50 other things we need to talk about. So like, let's, yeah, I would at like least... to reiterate, I would like to reiterate how much I enjoyed this movie. <laughs> and I literally think that if you just end it a few minutes earlier, <laughs> that I don't have those thoughts when I walk out going, you really could have fixed it a different way, but that's, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. I, I will so, say, so before we get to that whole thing, like this movie is so smart. I kind of love the way this con builds up in a way that feels very like, Oh, like this family is just like, they're so in tune with one another. They're like a, they're like a jazz bands. Like, Oh, you're starting a crime. I'm going to, I'm going to start a crime over here. Let's, <laughs> let's have like a crime, you know, session going on. Let's get the whole family involved. And by once they're all working there, it is working so well. I just can't. I got to give them like props for that because they 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 fleece the system. They're you know taking the money from this uh, rich housewife, I guess, who she seems to act smart, but she's easily swayed. And the husband's just like never there. So sure, let them do their thing. Let them take their money. I yeah, good for them. Uh. Yeah, I agree with you that there's this like great momentum to the yeah. to the con when it's like happening at first. You're, like, there's this great moment when like you as the audience are like, oh, like I get what is happening. Like, I get what this movie is going to be, or, or at least the first half of this movie is going to be. And there's this kind of delight in seeing how it is they actually execute it, right? Like, you're yeah. like, I I know how, like, I know they're going to go from point A to point B. I don't know exactly how they're going to get there. And there is this like kind of narrative delight in like watching them them achieve. Mm-hmm. It's an Ocean's movie at a point. The the heist is just getting into that damn house so they can get some money. Right. Um, So a few things I want to express my appreciation for this movie. One is the set design I actually thought was like the first time that uh, the housewife and uh, I guess the guy's sister have the conversation in the kitchen. There is this huge black line separating them in the kitchen mm-hmm. right like they're at the table and there's this huge black line and it's this it's the door to the basement right and i'm just like whoa like that yeah. is a really 
harsh it's like a doorway to hell. It's yeah. a it's like clearly bisecting the two of them, right? Like it's separating the two of them, both physically and metaphorically. And yeah. then little did I know like how important that black line would become throughout the course of the movie. So you, you uh, know what, Dave? I don't think that's up to code. You know, I feel like <laughs> well, that's what I they make like great pains to say was this like. There, this yeah. rock star designer, you know. They've got <laughs> kids in the family. You can't just you can't just have a, a freaking black hole in the middle of your kitchen. It's true. It's true. I don't think it's a real house. It's kind of impractical that way. Well, that's why um, you know they, they over and over say you know it's this it's this crazy <laughs> designer that everybody thought was a genius. It's like yeah. oh okay, it makes sense that this house is <laughs> this makes no goddamn sense. Uh, but um, I want to touch on something that Devinder brought up about the con thing. Um, I loved the fact that the you know, every con movie is like, how do we fleece the people of their money? How do we fleece the people of their money? This is a con movie about how do we get jobs? Yeah. I want to live. <laughs> yes. I, I want to live. How, it's how do we get con... money in exchange for goods and services? Yes. Basically. The con is literally, I'm, I'll, I'll show them. I'll be gainfully employed. You know? <laughs> well, oh, I think that, 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 a... that opening scene of them just like folding the pizza boxes and the, the, the freaking gas the fumigation, yeah. coming in and, the father just being like, oh, I guess this is what we're doing now. I'm just going to keep doing it. I'm watching my video. I'm folding my boxes. Uh, I'm surprised the pizza person didn't complain about the boxes being like, not only were these folded incorrectly, <laughs> they smell like pesticide. <laughs> what are you serving me here? I, yeah. thought, I thought for sure that all that was a setup for the dad being the fuck up of the family. Yeah. And I thought he was going to be the one that was just going to completely... Uh, you know, as soon as he was brought in to the con, because he's sort of the last, well, not the last one, but one of the last ones to be brought into the con, uh, I thought that he was going to be the one that ruins everything for everybody. Uh -huh. But, you know, uh -huh. this movie never goes the way I thought it was going to go, which is one of the things I liked yeah. most about it. Yeah, it's yeah. a family it, affair, as they yeah. say. Yeah. A uh, few other things I want to bring up about the movie. One is that, like, everyone is, I, I like that the movie allows the audience to like pick a side you know i, I don't think like anyone in, in in the movie is cartoonishly evil in, in in any way like neither the rich people or the poor people uh i think or that, even the other the old right people like yeah, the, uh, old, uh, the old uh, servants yeah. Yeah, everyone whatever. is acting in extremely understandable ways in my opinion uh every every party is acting extremely understandably uh but there's also like uh some you know, we're talking about like when the movie's subtle, when it's not subtle. You know, there's that moment uh, when they're all like clawing for the phone. She's like, she has made this recording and she's going to send it, which brilliant idea and execution of like, hey, I have this video. It's going to destroy your lives if I hit send. And they're all like clawing for it. It's kind of like this, um, the, this way of showing that like society pits people against each other for the few opportunities that there are. And, and yeah. it, as evidence in the way that they are literally clawing. Uh, against each other to you know uh, to uh, metaphorically win the favor of this rich family. That that moment, by the way, that that turn of fortunes, right when the old housekeeper comes back, you know, crying. Yeah. They reveal the husband, and then the kids stumble in, and it's like, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, I changes. have the I have the upper hand. Yeah. Now. I just yeah. I just wanted to get up in the theater and shout, "Wee! What a predicament!" <laughs> yeah. Because really, yeah. yeah. Don't, I don't understand why the old housekeeper lady waited as long as she did to come back for her husband. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah, you know. Uh, and then the the ending of the movie, it, you know, there's this moment when the son asks, like, you know, do I fit in here? And he looks at the the girl, and she gives him the this like, yeah, I guess, you know, like because what's amazing about that moment is <laughs> it didn't even occur to her that that would be a question, right? Oh yeah, like, and he's yeah. looking at all these like rich people, and you know, the way the movie describes it is like 
rich people are like poor people with all the creases ironed out, right? A brilliant metaphor. And I think that uh, this this idea of like be- belonging, it, that moment when she looks at him and is like, and responds like, yeah, you know, I, I guess you fit in. It's not even something that I thought about is like a brilliant way of demonstrating the concept of privilege, right? And I think that that's what the movie does a lot is like there's these like little brilliant character touches that that demonstrate like a deeper sense of who these characters are and what they represent uh, that often can be beautiful and subtle as in that moment. And sometimes it can be extremely uh, obvious like when they're clawing their way to the phone. Right. Uh, and uh, the movie has all it, it has everything. It has all that stuff. So yeah, it's anyway. basically like presenting privilege as like yeah, a way of viewing the world where you just don't have many problems. You, like it's just like less things to worry about. Whereas yeah, if you're at the bottom, existing is is kind of a chief thing to I, to deal with. Yeah. I know this is obvious to a lot of people, but I think one thing that this movie really illustrated for me from a visual perspective is being rich is is just the right. To not be around things and people, like yes. like, and, and you see this illustrated when they cut between uh, the family who have just undergone the flooding and they're, they're surrounded by like hundreds of people in this like shelter, and it cuts to like the minimalist house where there's like nothing there, right? And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, being, literally being a castle is, in the sky, basically above that whole yeah, neighborhood. It's yeah. just the right to not have roommates. It's the right to not be surrounded by stuff and things and people. Um, and I think like the way that it visually represents both the minimalist house and the kind of grimy basement apartment and all the stuff that the family gets into is is uh, really effectively illustrates that that idea. So anyway, okay, just wanted to make sure we mentioned like a few of these these amazing things about the movie. There's like actually much more to talk about, but uh, we're kind of running out of time here. I want to give you guys last word because I've been talking a lot a bit. Is there anything else you want to mention about the movie that we didn't bring up yet or? Um, or shall yeah, we feel, wrap it up there? I, I feel like it is. Well, we're already in spoilers, but man, seeing this, I brought my uh, younger brother. Uh, they were in town for Sophia's first birthday. So I was able to bring my younger brother to the Brooklyn Academy of Music to go see this. And it was his first time there. One of my favorite theaters in the city. Uh, it is such a perfect movie to see with a crowd. I feel like it is such like you need that experience to really catch the dramatic highs and lows of this movie. So yeah, I hope um, if you saw it in a screening where, yeah, there weren't many people, it's, I, I don't know, uh, it may be worth going at a prime time because that crowd experience was fantastic. I also think we haven't really mentioned uh, the performances are all really good. Um, I think the the even the younger characters are all really, uh, really subtle and beautiful and and. Uh, I was I was struck by how different everybody felt and uh, you like the the family the core family doesn't feel like four of the same person they all have very distinct yeah. mm-hmm. uh, individual identities within sort of a unified uh, we're gonna grift <laughs> what we can yeah. you know mentality but they all have like a a shade that's different within that and I I really like that I mean not just not just their talent. Uh, you know, they're not their, their particular uh, angle on the grift. It's more like even their personality within that mm-hmm. and their perspective on the world within that. And I, I thought that was really cool and could have been something that would be easily not included in a movie like this where, you know, it could be the four of them as a unit that felt all the same. Yeah. Um, 
It's 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 a great movie. I love the family. Like clearly the parents are like, well, we just we know how to exist uh, as being poor. Right. And it just involves a lot of hard work, whereas the kids are more like, well, we're going to figure out ways to get out of here. OK, like we're, we're going to do this. We'll hopefully lift you all up. Uh, I love that difference. Um, Kang Ho Song, who plays the father. I love his face. Whenever his face appears in a movie, <laughs> like his characters are so like there's so much going on. His face is like always kind of a frown, even when he's like trying to be happy. Like it's, there's just I I like him as an actor. He also plays the father kind of like a bumbling. Is he, is he the father? He's a bumbling character in the host. And we see him like typically a character like this, honestly, like he never really gets to be super buttoned up or dapper or anything, but I think he's particularly well done here. And I, the sister, once the sister gets into her grift, she is so good. Like such a natural at it. Like I, I couldn't help but cheer for her. Was yeah. it your sense that they had done grifts before? Like, I, oh, I'm yeah. curious. Yeah. Cause there's this moment when, you know, she says like, I set up a trap in the, in the car, you know? And I was like, mm-hmm. is that just because they talked about this, Griff they're doing now, or is it because like they've already gone through the motions of something like this before? I feel like it's not the first time that she's forged documents. Right. (laughs) So on that note, uh, as we wrap up, I do want to just mention there is a great thread on Reddit. Uh, The title of the thread is Korean fans of Parasite. Please share jokes and references that Westerners might have missed. And there's like a a bunch of like good explanations in here. I think the one that I just want to mention is like... uh, uh, something that I thought was a little odd was apparently both the main four people in the the the, the poor family and also the underground, the couple had both started Taiwanese cake shops before, uh, yes. and I thought like was that the yeah. same Taiwanese cake shop? Like did, did they know each other from that? From that? But apparently, like in in Korea, it's a it's an issue with uh, people spending all their retirement funds on small food businesses like fried chicken. Uh, oh. and they end up losing money in the business folds. Like that's, it's apparently like an epidemic or a serious issue. And so like, that's what that is in reference to. And there's in America, we have retirees becoming Uber drivers because there's no other way to survive. So yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's kind it's, of it's, that, it's that idea. Um, but yeah, the, and there's like a bunch more other details in here that are like useful for understanding the movie. I want to thank the people in the Slack film cast for, uh, for sharing this thread in the parasite spoilers channel. Uh, it really helped me to kind of understand, uh, some of the other components of uh, the movie. Um, like another thing is like the melody from that little song that Jessica sings before entering the rich house, which is amazing. Uh, apparently every kid in Korea knows that melody. It's like an old nursery rhyme. Um, and, you know, there's other other details in here. So I'll, we'll share the link in the show notes, but just wanted to call out that like uh, there are references that, that we as Americans might have missed and uh, I'd recommend people educate themselves. So anyway... That's uh, our review of Parasite. We all loved it. It's a movie you should check out. Uh, and uh, it's probably my number one movie of the year at this point. So uh, but we'll see. Yep. A lot of competition coming up in the next few months. So uh, stay tuned here. We'll be discussing next week on the podcast, the Slash Filmcast. You can find more episodes of us at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. And our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Uh, and in the meantime, until next week, Jeff Canada, where can people find more of your work on the internet? Well, you can follow me online on Twitter at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And you heard me shamelessly bring up the dungeon run. And I'm going to do it again because I'm very proud of it. It's a fun, fun show with really great actors. We're experiencing a 
epic tale of fantasy adventure, and I hope you check it out. You can do it a number of ways. It's available as a podcast. You can listen to the audio version, which plays a lot like an audiobook. Um, you can find that anywhere you get podcasts by searching for The Dungeon Run. You can also watch it uh, on YouTube. You can find that on YouTube by searching for The Dungeon Run. Or you can watch it live as we record it every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Pacific time at caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run. I also do a show about video games called DLC. You can find that at 5x5.tv slash DLC. How about you, Devendra? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra. I write about tech at Engadget.com. I'm also hosting the new Engadget podcast, so be sure to check that out. Just uh, search for the Engadget podcast on your favorite client. Vincenzo Natale recently directed a movie called In the Tall Grass on Netflix. And over at my podcast, Culturally Relevant, uh, at culturallyrelevantshow.com, I did a feature-length commentary of that film with Vincenzo. Uh, he is one of my favorite people to interview, and he's really fascinating uh, in talking about the filmmaking process. So check that out. E- even if you uh, have already, like, I-, I would argue you don't even need the uh, the to watch the, sh- the movie along with it, especially if you've seen it already. Uh, the, the interview, in my opinion, or the commentary is just that interesting, even without uh, needing to watch the images. So check it out at culturallyrelevantshow.com. Next week, we're going to be discussing Terminator Dark Fate. Terminator Dark Fate, which is uh, apparently re- a reboot of the Terminator franchise post-Terminator 2. Uh, Jeff Kanata, what, what do you think is our likelihood of, of actually enjoying this, this movie? I'm I'm going in um, cautiously optimistic. I don't think we can call it a reboot, right? It's like a side boot or like an an in boot. It's it's half a boot. It's, it's not a reboot. Boot. No fate, but what we make, guys. Come on. Yeah. It's uh, I mean, Devendra, I think you're pretty psyched about it. I, I, yeah, like people have said, it's the third best Terminator film. That's yeah. all I'm hoping for. If it's That's the good. third, be- if if it's the third you know, best Terminator film, bar. that is a massive success, in my opinion. Well, so. it depends on how far the the gulf is between <laughs> second best and third best. What what because, do you think uh, is a, yeah? I guess what I was is say, there is there's currently a third best Terminator movie. So uh, what, you what, know, here's, here's a question: what do you, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. What do you That's think the is best, the third yeah. best Terminator movie right now? What do you think oh. is the third best Terminator movie? Uh, I have to look at all the Terminator movies real quick. Uh, I would say Terminator Three probably. I mean, Terminator yeah, Three is not yeah. that good. But it, I think it's better than Salvation and certainly it's better than Genesis. It's watchable compared to those. Yeah. You guys have never seen the TV show, but the TV show was fantastic. So I don't know, that I is my number three. There were moments in Salvation that are pretty effective. Yeah, I agree. Mm. There not are good, great moments. But... And really cool, like, robot designs. Like, like, yeah. Like, Let's like, not do this. this there's, like, the, the robot path. harvester. Okay, we'll talk about this next one. Anyway, <laughs> thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. He watched the